There may, may be some colorful language in this. Viewer discretion is advised. I'm going to want this recipe. (laughs) This is fantastic, you know, so. This is also, I would say, almost like a comfort food dish, you know, because it's very, Yes, but it's light. This thing could be your food. Welcome, food and music lovers, to This Band Could Be Your Food, a weekly podcast where each episode we dissect a different musical artist in order to ask the question that no one is asking, what food is that band? What does that mean, you ask? Well, it's basically another way to really look at a musical artist. We'll try to understand them deeper. In the process of picking them apart, we'll find characteristics they share with the food. So listen on. It's fun, silly, informational, and maybe you'll come out of it with a new recipe. Joining me this week are two staple musicians of the New York City metropolitan area, Alan Camlet and Oscar Bautista. Alan is a drummer and producer owning and operating Hoboken Recorders out of Hoboken, not surprisingly. He plays drums in the Electric Mess. He used to play drums with me 10 years ago when we were the rhythm section for the Paul Collins beat. And lastly, He has been playing with New York's Finest, a New York City-based police tribute band, alongside Mark Renzel, as well as my other guest, Oscar Bautista. Oscar does a lot of guitar gigs as well around town, including performing with the traveling Broadway version show of American Idiot, Green Day's rock opera. So he knows this stuff. Anyways, I can't give enough compliments to their police tribute, and obviously they're the first guys I thought of to rap about the police, so... I present to you a conversation with three lifelong police fans as we try to discover what food is the police. Let's warm it up, Chris. I'm about to. The police have such a signature sound, and um, the police have a really special place in my heart. The very first two tape cassettes I owned in my my whole life, I believe for Christmas I got one of those old school tape cassette players that um, that has the plastic part on the top that you open up and you put in. Mm-hmm. They they really had an extended life in like the public school system. I think you know. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. But anyways, my very first two cassettes were the best of Bill Cosby and the Police first tape, the very first record, and I wore that thing out. Because of that, I decided I wanted to become a drummer. So I, so I set up a bunch of coffee cans before my folks would give me a drum set. So to show them that I was dedicated, I would get all these coffee cans and some pencils. Yeah. And I, I'd play that whole record top to bottom on those That's coffee cans. Fantastic. Yeah. Yes. So come like second grade, my, my dad was like, all right, let's get you a drum, a drum set. That's this is great. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, that is my beginnings with the police. When did you first hear about the police? Uh, Alan. For me... I would say it was a combination of good old-fashioned FM radio, mm-hmm. which uh, was such a massive force in breaking music uh, back in the late 70s and early 80s, coupled with, let's, let's advance a little bit and say MTV was a uh, serious also force in... Um, breaking bands at the time. So I think the police had both the benefit of radio and MTV. Um, So they were kind of hard to not notice back then. And of course, I was 
already playing drums and you know this spiffy new magazine called modern drummer came out and lo and behold there's this skinny blonde dude that's known for uh doing some different stuff on drums was on the cover and i was like okay who's this guy yeah, uh, Stuart Copeland, the only natural blonde member of the group. Is that right? By the way. Oh, okay. Yes. In They're fact, all... one, one of their very early jobs as the police is they had gotten uh, a deal to be on the Wrigley's Spearmint Gum commercial. Sure. And so it was required that everybody be blonde. So, St- <laughs> uh-huh. so Sting and Andy both dyed their hair blonde, and it stuck. It became sort of their, their trademark their look. look. Yeah. yeah, no, it worked. Yeah. It definitely worked. It's pretty they crazy. branded early. They did. Yeah. Yeah. They, uh, you know, they, they existed in the world of punk. That was their entire idea. As we'd said, like Stuart Copeland's earlier band curved air, uh, he leaves the band and he sees that punk is happening and he sees that, uh, the brand of music he's doing is no longer relevant. He decides that he's going to start a punk band. But the thing is, is he plays too well to be in a punk band. So he ends up getting really good musicians. Um, you know, we, we've got, we started out with Andy Copeland, of course, Sting. He, he nabs from the band Last Exit. And this guy, Henri, what's, what's his last name? He's the French Oh, fella. Henri, meaning Henry Pad, Pad, uh, Padovani. Padovani. Yeah. Yes, that's the original guitarist yeah. of uh, the police. Yeah. And I, he was a good, he was a good player and, and had that sort of punk uh, vibe that they were at least that Stewart was after. Sure, he uh, was he was the only legitimate punk at right, the time. Exactly, and it was he was just good enough for them to put out their first single, which was Fallout, yeah. right. which is is out and you could listen to it. It's you can uh, it's available, I think, on the uh, the big p- uh, message in a packet or something Certain, like that. Mes- every, yeah, message in a box or something. In a message yeah, in a yeah, box, yeah, exactly. Like that. That's the full uh, compilation uh, uh, effort of theirs. Certainly. Uh, and, but, and that's and that song was on their in their live set for years, right. They, years they, following. They changed it up with Andy, and they and I think there was even footage of the four of them with Andy Summers playing. I think Andy eventually he well he came in. Um, there that's a that's a bit of a long story, but they tr- they tried to to do a two guitar band, yeah, but realized it wasn't going to work. And Andy had the more sophisticated technique and ability and just much more you know you know into jazz stylings and just being being able to borrow from that because obviously the police is not jazz at all but 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 you could borrow that more it's 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 disguised jazz (laughs) you wouldn't know it i mean right right right. they do really simple songs but you know there's elements voicings and their portal yeah it's and so i think that appealed to sting much more than than Henri. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. Andy could keep up with Sting's writing style, who was, you know, initially not the lead songwriter, but, you know, very, very soon became the guy. Right. You know, it, it all started out with Stuart. He'd written all these songs. And, you know, as we said, over time, um, as Sting was becoming the prominent songwriter for obvious reasons, he's, he's a, a, an amazing songwriter, even to this day. Um, the songs that Stuart kept writing he ended up having to start a side project. And, right. that, and I was looking that up. One of the first songs, the lead single, Don't Care, Stuart wrote, and Sting said he couldn't identify with the lyrics. So Stuart just said, all right, well, I'm just going to take sing. these songs that aren't good enough for Sting and put out a, a really killer 10-inch record called Clark Kent, both beginning with uh, K's. Uh, if you can find that out there, it's really it's awesome. I have a copy. 
the it's yeah, a green I've seen, 10 inch i've seen a copy up close of, uh, but yeah. i don't own one you oh, know man. but uh, yeah that, those are rare yeah that's they are yeah those i are was cool. i was super stoked when i ran into that thing before we get into the history of the band we're going to start taking the pieces apart and come up with what food the police is now i uh i had to do some digging and i i had actually came up with a dish that i've never eaten before but i've heard about um now this band is a is a fusion group Yes. In every sense absolutely. of Yeah, in every sense of the way. Like they come from different places. Two members are from Britain. Initially the the first guitar player was from France. Right. You know. Yeah. Stuart was from America and, and the and Sting is from Jollyo, England. Mm-hmm. Um they were fusing all of this music together. They were disguised as punk. They wanted to be punk, but as I said, they were playing jazz, but they were also playing reggae. They were their own unique sound. Nobody could sing like Sting can. And so after they mixed all this stuff together, they came up with the police, which is uh, very distinctly identified. When you hear the police, you know it's the police. You can hear the difference when Sting is playing a, a police song with anybody other than Stuart and, and Andy, that you can tell it's, you know, it's not the real thing. It's not the real thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But... Still sounds great, of course. It sounds great. And, you know, as, as I said, like, they, they didn't have, you know, their, their identity was completely stolen in the first place. And so all of this got me thinking to British Indian food. Yeah, that's a great, that, that, well, there that's, you go. That's fairly on point. <laughs> yeah. It, I think very similarly to Chinese food in America, which has nothing to do with Chinese food. Right. Very right. little. Right. <laughs> um, there is a whole genre of Indian food because, you know, back in the day, uh, Great Britain had colonized India. So in the process, they brought over some of the Indian food and then turned it upside down and made it into British food. But it still has like curry powder and it's still it's still rice based and and they are so proud of this cuisine because it's it's turned into its own thing. So I had to do some research about what some of these dishes were and I think the the dish that really identifies like embodies every single thing about this whole genre is kedgeri. So uh-huh. And I'm going to tell you guys about Kedgeri in a little while. And we're going to eat some, and um, we're, we're cooking it up right now. So, yes, the police are Kedgeri. So, here we go. A guitar, a corner, a fauna, in space, the recent relations. I have to say, The Ghost of the Machine is the record I know the least. Okay. Of, yeah. Of that. Just because it's so dark. You know, yeah. I it's mean, it's really I, kind of a it's a departure of like their sound as as far as they could go at that point. They, yeah, they definitely used synthesizers and horns, and mm-hmm. there's about four numbers in there that are kind of just groove, where it's a riff and that's it. Yeah, and then they're just grooving. There's no, there's no. It's it's you know maybe the obviously the the you know every little thing she does is magic. Yep, is an incredibly beautiful composed song from top to bottom. But the re- you know, and so is Invisible Sun and Spirits. But outside of those songs, the rest of it is just groove playing, and uh, you know, uh, which is cool, uh, and and it's it's actually quite funky. Like the song uh, uh, "Too Much Information" and uh, uh, "Hungry for You," which is in French, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And uh, so, but. Uh, and and uh, demolition man, it's just that same riff over and over and over and over and over, and so it doesn't. And it's not that you know. So it's it's like I feel like 
that record is, you're right, it's dark, but at the same time, there's not that many songs, like, say, every little thing she does is magic is this, you know, real composition, you know, really involved composition. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the rest of it is kind of is very loose. There's some bizarre sort of punky songs on there, like Rehumanize Yourself and mm-hmm. Omega Man is really strange. Yeah. You know. I think so. that that record was probably the first record, the most prominent one, where Sting had done a lot of pre-writing and pre-arranging prior to bringing it into the band. And there are the the things that we consider songs on Ghost yeah. are the ones that Sting kind of flushed out ahead of time. Right. Mm. The things that are more jams are the things that he kind of developed with the developed band. Developed with the band. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. I think I remember uh, hearing Stewart saying that at that point Sting was coming in with fully finished demos that probably could have been released. At, you know without Andy or Stuart on it. Yeah. And so that kind of created tension because they're like, well, what are we, what are we going to, what are we going to play on this? It's kind of done. For sure. It's already finished. For sure. And so that where, I think that's where the sort of the seeds of tension started to build. Cause I think that was the, was that the record right before Ghost in the Machine right before Synchronicity? Yeah. Yes. Synchronicity being the final record. Yeah. So I think that's, uh, although the final record it does is definitely a collaborative effort. I don't think anyone in the band really enjoyed that record at all. <laughs> they didn't really, although it's probably thought of as one of the biggest albums. It's certainly it's, yielded. The, every the, breath you take is on that record yeah. and, and, oh. and plays every day and makes Sting like five grand every week yeah, or something yeah, like that or every yeah. day or something. Oh, Who but knows? That whole album is chock full of hits. Oh yeah. Like the first, like yeah. Sight, you know, King of Pain and, um, but no one remembers that from my finger. Yeah, and the, the, the band does not remember that record. Synchronicity too. Such a great song. I, you know, you, I think with synchronicity, you, you gotta hand it to the producer on the album because each band members account of the making of that record is that it was extremely painful and laden with friction and tension. Um, despite the fact that they were in Montserrat, which is a recording facility down, which is gone now because it Sadly, was uh, yeah. you know, a volcano, eradicated the area the studio was in, but they were, they were wow. in the Caribbean making this record. The building it owned still by stands. G- it still stands. It was owned by George Martin. Uh, a lot so of, many, lot of so famous ma- records there. So many records were made there. But, Queen, uh, Queen made Queen. the record there. Back in Black. Back in Black? Yeah. Was, really? Back, back in Montserrat? Really? Montrot, really? Yeah. Wow. wow. Okay. Um, yeah. So it was sort of this vacation resort slash studio. So the, the, like, the physical conditions were beautiful. Mm. The sort of spiritual and emotional conditions were terrible. And... I always think like the producer on that record really, really pulled it together because it it's a it's a beautiful record. Yeah. Yeah. With one exception. You're gonna <laughs> yeah. say mother? Mother. Mother. <laughs> mother. In unison, um, mother. Now there's there's interesting <laughs> I, love I mean mother. <laughs> there's there's so much interesting speculation about that song. Some some would say that Sting was so confident in the material that he brought in that he let Andy do whatever he wanted because he was so confident in his material that he felt nothing could derail this body of work. Yeah. It seems that Andy sure tried, (laughs) but 
that oh, mother is certainly the outlier song. on that terrible record. song. Yes, it's, <laughs> I, but I, I just love it. It's oh, no, so it's, funny. It's it's the most ridiculous it's, song. It's funny because uh, Alan and I went to see Andy perform uh in uh at in manhattan he did a solo show about two years ago oh, right? wow. something Correct. like that did he and uh and he he didn't play mother we <laughs> thought he he might but yeah. the thing about mother is 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 andy always has this um thing where he likes to almost tell a story in this you know weird kind of a voice and he does that a little bit in the first record on uh, uh be my girl you know he tells this yeah. he reads this whole long yeah. you know, poem basically, yep, yep, yep. you know? And so in, 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 and I, and there are some, um, some B sides where he does the, there's this song called friends where he does a similar thing as well, right. where, where he kind of takes the lead vocal where he's just talking like this, Yes, you know? And so, but in, in the performance that we saw in his show, he read these short stories. <laughs> he thought he didn't play any music and just read short stories yeah, yeah, that yeah. were supposed to be humorous. Yeah. Uh, but at some point, I think we all are like, "What's going on?" You know, like what? what there is was he, some what question as to the focus of the performance, um, Andy. But honestly, that is sort of typical of Andy. Yeah, that's I think, who he you know, is. Yeah, Sting sort of forced Andy into this, into a sort of, you know, commercial lane that more so than he had been ever. Before that, which let's face it, Andy had a Andy basically had a career, an entire career before he met Stuart Copeland. For sure, he played guitar for the Animals. Yep. I mean, he was very active on the on the English pub scene yeah, and, and jazz he, and skiffle bands. Yep, and he was hanging with all of those British guitar players, like absolutely Clapton yeah. and Jeff yep. Beck. Yep. like he was just a part of that what, whole that whole brigade. Didn't he, didn't he sell? famously sell a guitar to Clapton and Clapton made that guitar famous somehow or was it a Les Paul or something like that is it am I getting the story wrong spot on Oscar I didn't know about that I went and looked it up yeah in fact the story goes Andy Summers bought a 1966 Les Paul at a store for 80 quid and one day he was hanging out with his buddy Eric Clapton showing off his new guitar and Clapton's like wow that's great and Andy's like they're cheap you should go get one now this guitar these days sells for many thousands of dollars, so it boggles the mind. Anyways, Eric Clapton rushes out and buys the other one, perhaps the model made immediately after the one that Andy Summers purchased. So Eric Clapton's going along, playing his guitar, not paying attention. Someone steals it. So now Eric Clapton is missing his killer Les Paul, and he's about to start a new band called Cream, who are supposed to go into the studio and record their first album, Fresh Cream. He's all bummed out about the guitar he lost. So he calls up Andy Summers, and he's all like, "Oh, Andy, I lost my guitar." And then, because he's British, so Andy's like, "Well, I have, you know, I still have it, but the back pickup isn't really working properly." And Eric's like, "Oh, never mind, I'll buy it anyway for two hundred quid." And Andy's like, "Oh, I bought it for eighty quid, Psh, sucker. Yeah, I'll sell it to you." Because Andy had moved on to playing the Fender Telecaster, which he famously played throughout the entire police career. So he says, "Sure, I'll sell you the guitar." Eric takes the thing and. And records many iconic Cream albums with it, so that's fun, right? Carry on. I mean, what's funny is I often forget. You know, Andy was a lot, uh, slightly older than Sting and uh, Stewart, so he was quite about, a bit older. He was, he was about like, he's like ten years older. He, yeah, exactly. He's about 34, 33 or so yeah, yeah. when he joins the Police. Sure. Which yep. you know, you think that's that's re that's still relatively young, but mm. like in pop, you know, in you know pop uh, icon status that's kind of much older sure, of course yeah. andy doesn't look any older than them at, yeah, that point. Not at that point but he was essentially a contemporary of like the rolling stones and 
yeah. and Clapton and and uh, you know the Beatles. Like he's he's I believe older than Keith Richards, which yeah. is kind of which is. is kind of which is by really? like, oh by like a year, you yeah, know, he is. which is kind of you don't even think of those two guys as yeah. being the same. But no, but that's Andy's yeah. generation. Yeah, sure. So coming into the police, he had a wealth of knowledge about the music business and you know what makes a successful project and what doesn't make a successful project he brought to the table there yeah but it you know i would say that the his tenure in the police is was andy's most accessible artistic output because even after the police it's like that tether to the earth that sting had him like focused on went away and then Andy went back off Completely. into the ether and he's Completely. still there you yeah. know yeah for sure which is cool yeah oh, absolutely. he's got his photography he's got you know did a couple of albums with adrian blue right yes. from king crimson yes. yeah yeah i was just watched a, a a video of that you know there was like a there's actually like a, a video not even a performance video like a like a you know a promotional video they made yeah uh and it's just like wow this is i've never seen this before it's really cool yeah. you know one of the stories I really love about Andy Summers is the fact that he was married when he first joined the police. And, you know, because of the police lifestyle, because they were road warriors, they were traveling around the world, which is another reason why I sort of I picked the uh, food that I did. You know, they would travel to, to India and to Egypt and to all of these places that at the time bands weren't going. So they were really, you know, placing their status as like a world a world class rock. Yeah, band. I think I think even just quickly, I think if I'm not I believe the police may have been the first rock band to perform in India. Oh yeah? I cuz I remember Sting on Letterman. Mm -hmm. I mean when Letterman was on Late Night with David yeah. Letterman, right? So yeah. uh, I believe Sting was on there as a young guy in in the 80s and I believe he said I think we were the first rock band wow. that played in India. So I mean, Fantastic. I could be I could be off, but I yeah. recall that interview and yeah. he, he might have said that yeah so. it works for me but yeah. uh, go on you were but, saying uh, yeah so obviously with the lifestyle of the police it wasn't really going so well for his relationship they ended up breaking up um but then after the police is over with andy rekindles his relationship with that woman and they are together again that right? is yeah. true yeah. i do recall that that's yeah. uh one of the one of the very very rare uh, reunited stories. Yeah, no, sure, it's a, yeah. A, he goes into into depth about that in the in the film. Mm, uh, yeah. What what was the name of the film again that Andy put out? Uh, uh, Can't stand losing you. Yes, my life in the police. Okay, yeah. And uh, was it of the same the book of the same? It's name? it's it's yes. It's based on the book on the biography the the, yeah. the which was I believe the last train or something like that. I forget the name of the uh, mm. the. Well, that's fine. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Either way, uh, it is based on the book, his autobiography, of, you know, about his life as a musician and in the police. And yeah, no, I, it, it seems that he turned into kind of a, you know, a dick, basically, you know, like. Uh, Which one? <laughs> like, <laughs> Andy? You know, Andy, yeah, yeah. He just turned into like a, you know, just kind of like, I think he says like, a, like just like a rock star asshole, sure. you know. So. It seems that all the members of the band were engaging in, um certain substance oh, abuse yeah. at that I'm point sure. in time. Yeah, totally. Um, which led to them being able, like less tolerable of each other that they nor than they normally would be anyways. Because it's, you know, like obviously very documented Sting and Stewart's big rivalry with each other. But it's so fun to watch them because the, it, it's Stewart is just like that little brother who just <laughs> needs to be validated and Sting is just like 
you're fine, man. You, you don't need me to tell you. He's like, no, no, tell me how great I am. I'm, like, I'm not going to tell you how great you are. <laughs> I think, though, also Sting needed that pushback from somebody like Stuart to perhaps Stuart, by pushing back against a lot of what Sting was doing, maybe got another 10% out of Sting and some things that he normally would not have given other people you know, the time of day right. to, to try. I oh, mean, undoubtedly. So I think that that contentious relationship was definitely mutually beneficial for a while. Yes. And then, you know, it served its purpose mm -hmm. and history shows us what the yield was. So, yeah, right. Exactly. Five nearly perfect records. Yeah. Yeah. And no more, <laughs> no more. Although interestingly, we, we have learned that uh, according to Stuart, that the police, the band, the corporation, the police still owe A&M Records two albums. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and he, he, you know, sort of gleefully said they're, they're not going to get them. Yeah. So, but according to the, the contract, the police, the band still owe that label, which we think is defunct, I'm right? pretty sure A&M is defunct, mm. uh, but... Uh, I, I think it was partially owned by, uh, if I'm not, if not, if I'm not wrong, Sergio Mendez. Am I? Am I? Am I? Am I? Don't know. Herb I'm Albert. Not, not, Herb, Herb Albert is what. Herb Albert. Yeah. 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 If you yeah. Want Herb Rass. Albert. And yeah. He is I, the A. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they still, as per their contract, owe two albums um, <laughs> because the police, as a corporation, never legally disbanded. So they yeah, still no. have outstanding obligations that yes. they all chuckle about. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They, I mean, they did try to make a sixth record, more or less. They kind of got together. And, that's and right, you're right, yeah. They did. That, and that's why we have that terrible redone version <laughs> of Don't Stand So Close to Me. Right. With the, the, fake, the, with the, the fake drums. Now, the story behind that is, is, I think they were planning to actually record live drums, but Stuart Copeland had gotten to a polo accident. Yes. Yes. And he um, hurt his shoulder or something he like broke that. Broke his arm. Broke his arm. So he was unable to play drums. So that's why... You know that very last track that they did is is these bad synthesized drums yeah, that I, neither Stuart or Sting could agree on. So a, one of them would would program them in, and then the next day the other member would go in and go, "Oh, this is terrible!" And instead of just leaving them, just completely erase them and put new ones. And so just further fueling the fire and tension between the two of them that really just cemented like we were not meant to be working together you know yeah, it was great it was point. great when it lasted but right. you know it's just not gonna now, remember anymore. that came out on a greatest hits uh, uh compilation i think called singles yeah or uh and i remember as a kid thinking this sucks yeah <laughs> yeah it's like, what is wrong with you this? know but of course i've i it's kind of in uh you know become uh, i'm more endeared to it now but it was, I think they tried, I think the concept was to redo all the songs in that fashion, but they, they just didn't, I think that some exist out there on YouTube if really? you wanted to look, look up these alternative versions of, of some of these songs. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think few. I need to. <laughs> there's a few, there's, there is a version of Truth Hits, yeah. Truth Hits Everybody, and uh, it's terrible. Yeah. 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 It's really bad. Yeah, I mean, it was, so the Don't Stand single that you mentioned is the best of, of, of those what efforts. came out of those sessions. Yeah. The rest of it is the uh, best of the worst beneath that part. Do you so. think Sting? Do you do you imagine Sting is just fascinated by technology and trying drum machines and or is that is that was that the concept? Why do you think? Why would he revisit the old catalog and want to 
change it? What, 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 what it's, it's kind of seems anti sting. Sure. I, you know, if, if however, we're gonna... however, he has released my songs, which is kind of reinterpretations of some of those old songs. Sure. So my speculation on that is you're dealing with a guy that was in top songwriting form, top, uh, public acclaim loved by millions sex symbol yeah. mm-hmm. who also knew without a doubt that his what he was hearing in his head as a writer couldn't be accomplished by the police so rather than bring in material that he was going to do on his own he's like well let's just redo some of the stuff that you guys have already done we as a band have already yeah. done I just don't think he wanted to bring in any new material to the trio, the police, while his while he was really trying to launch his solo career. Yeah, yeah, that's my right. Yeah, no, I think I think that that's I think he nailed it. Yeah. Yeah, the whole genius of the police is that they just rein in these three wild horses and be like, "Listen, this is the road we're on. You know, you're just this is what you got to do." Right, and you know it, it it. it prevented a lot of fluff, you know, like they just had to, if the three of them could agree on something, it must be good. You know? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you guys getting hungry? Oh yeah. Yeah. To eat it's, baby. It's, all right. Let's try this. Kedgeri. Kedgeri. Let's enjoy. Yes, I do. I'm excited to try this myself. I've never eaten this before, so I hope I made a good one. <laughs> All right, folks. This is called Kedri. Now, as I said, this is a bastardized version of Indian food. The mm. original Indian dish would be rice and like beans or lentils. Um, but for whatever reason, the British said, well, let's get rid of the lentils and let's put smoked haddock in it. As Brits are known to do. Of course. They're wow, this, is, with fish, this is delicious. And then, very and, good. And then they no. put eggs on it as well. So um, the way that it's done is you're supposed to get a smoked haddock. I couldn't mm. find smoked haddock for the life of me. So I used cod, fresh cod, yeah. and then some smoked trout. Because yes. I wanted to get that smoky flavor. Mm. So we poached these. Now, poaching is not something that I do. I'm not a poacher. Okay, so so we had to poach. So that that, I am, and you've done a fantastic job. Oh, thank you. So (laughs) I also enjoy cooking. So awesome, (laughs) really? Yes. Well, I enjoy at home, you know. And in fact, I had cod last night. You did just by coincidence. By coincidence, (laughs) I did. I did. But continue, please. Mm, Sorry, just explaining the recipe. Mm, Yeah. So you take you take a you poach some fish. As I said, if you can, you want to get some smoky flavor in there, that's really the trademark. Um, these days, a lot of people will just use salmon. Not smoked salmon, but salmon. So a big, a big piece of salmon. You poach it in milk. Okay. About 10 minutes. Have it simmer for about 10 to 15 minutes. Take out the fish, and then you're going to use that milk as your liquid to cook your rice. Okay. Oh, so very good. Yeah. So you get so you get that. Uh, that's why the smoky flavor is so important because yeah. that that well, will infuse so much flavor the to the rice as well. It's delicious. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely delicious. So then uh, you dice up a an onion and you um, you get that in a pan with some oil. Start getting it hot about five minutes maybe, um, and then I added some garlic and some ginger. Mm. And as well as a good amount of curry powder. You can use curry powder or curry paste. Um, 
And so you cook that up maybe about five minutes, start getting the essence of, of the curry flavors yeah. happening, and then you put in the rice. Now, what I did is I measured how much liquid I had on the side, and then your proportions of rice to liquid is two parts liquid, one part rice. So I had a little bit more than two cups of, of, of liquid from the poaching, so I just used a little bit more than a cup of rice. Right. Cook that in there a little bit before you put any of the liquid. You cook it directly in with the onions and garlic and curry powder. Um, about five minutes, I put in a little splash of white wine because that's always going to add a little oh, bit yeah, a little absolutely. flavor. Yep. And as soon as that boils down, then you add in the rest of the liquid, the poaching liquid, which, which is milk. I also put some heavy cream in there as well. And then put a lid on top of that and then just let it do its rice magic. You just keep it at a really, really low temperature until the rice is all the way cooked through. Right. Uh, once so the liquid is all dried up. You that's right. That, that's right. Yeah. The liquid will will cook the rice. So when the rice is in in perfect condition, and I've I've seen some different ones where they will have pre cooked rice, right. and they will sort of make a more of like a thick sauce mm -hmm. out of the milk. Well, they they just kind of keep cooking it until it gets really thick, and then just pour that over top of it. So that's another way you can do it. But I'm I'm a big fan of like cooking the rice in something sure, yeah. that has flavor. Absolutely. Um, traditionally, more in Britain, this sort of turns into like your, you know, what do I have left in the kitchen kind of a dish. It right, just, right. Yeah, I've got some rice, I've got some fish, and you just kind of blend them all together. Um, but this is, you know. It's this, like in a pinch, you the, could put, put it together and, and that's right. feel satiated. That's course. right. Yeah. All right, so after you have your rice ready, then you're going to put the pieces of fish on top, and you sort of want to just cut them up into little tiny pieces, just kind of flake them, not so they're too small, because you still want to have chunks chunks of, uh, of yeah. fish to be eating. Yeah. Um, my recipe called for hard-boiled eggs. I took four hard-boiled eggs and kind of cut them up into sec four sections. But I've seen another one where they put a poached egg on top of it, and that looked pretty amazing. Got it. Um, and then you're going to put in some parsley. Um, now, I've seen some other recipes where they put in um, coriander, as they call it, as we call it, cilantro. Mm -hmm. um, so it kind of depends. If you want to go in that direction, you can put some cilantro on top of it. And I've also saw that they would put lime leaves. So it kind of they're going more of like a Thai direction when you start going that. So um, I think the debate is just how spicy do you want it to be? Um, sure. Generally, you want, you want the smokiness of the fish to come out. So if you add too many, too many, Spices, you're you're. Well, this is beautifully, uh, you know, uh, the spices are just perfect. There's nothing too hot in this, or uh, there's nothing too overwhelming. Uh, yeah, it's delicious. The, the flavor is great, you know, and the parsley I think is a great touch. It's it looks really, it's a beautifully put together dish as well. It looks really great too. Nice. So you you like to do a lot of cooking too? You say I do. Yeah, I uh, in fact uh, probably learned how to cook even more so during the pandemic. Mm. <laughs> always had some go to we dishes. All. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I've always loved to cook. My wife uh, she loves to cook, and uh, you know, so uh, I'm gonna want this recipe. Mm. <laughs> this is fantastic, you know. So this is also I would say almost like a comfort food dish, you know, because it's very yes, you know, but it it's light. It's very light. Light. Yeah. It's, there's no, because uh, I know you mentioned heavy cream, but you don't yeah. really get the feeling of anything like that too much yeah, at all, you, don't, you know? You don't put too much of it in, um, just, just enough to like give it some, some heft. Oh yeah. But, but yeah, the rice intrinsically makes this just much uh, of a lighter dish, especially the parsley, the, the freshness of the parsley is also going to add that, that fresh nap. And I found it was fascinating. Uh, the British consider this to be like a breakfast or brunch dish. Oh, I can see that. Yeah. 
Fine. Of course, with the eggs, I guess that's the deal. The eggs, I think, make it that way, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I got desensitized with egg, eggs are for breakfast in Italy. In Italy, they don't eat eggs for breakfast. Okay. They eat their eggs at dinner time. What, uh, what's a typical breakfast in Italy? A breakfast is usually a couple of cookies. Oh, and, really? And a cappuccino. Oh, okay. Yeah, or a latte. Got, something. Got to like have that caffeine. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A good, a good strong cup of coffee and some cookies and that's it. It stays really light. And they save it all up for lunchtime. Lunchtime. Dinner. Right so on. they do a big dinner. And then, even then, like, supper is an afterthought. Hmm. Yeah. They they do it, but, you know, it'll be really simple. It'll be, you know, like some pieces of prosciutto with some bread, or, you know, they'll make a frittata with the eggs, or they'll just, you know, cook a sunny-side-up egg, mm. that sort of thing. I guess that makes sense, you know. It's like, do, you know, have your biggest meal in the early mid part of the day mm-hmm. where you get your fuel, yep. you know. Then you burn frequently it off fo- a little frequently bit. Frequently followed by a nap. <laughs> Perfect. I'm a, yeah. I'm a fan of that. Mm-hmm. You know, and then uh, maybe just like knock off a little a little bit in the evening. But you're you're instead of you know Americans tend to really pile it on late at night. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's uh, I think we've seen that that is probably not the best way to do it. <laughs> um, right. Right. But yeah, I've always I've always been a fan of the larger lunch and the smaller dinner, just for digestive purposes. Well, I can. So this is sure. definitely this dish definitely is a, a great lunch. Absolutely, and it could be a go-to dinner, a quick dinner as yeah. well. You know, yeah, so it, yeah, this is one. This is uh, comforting and and filling and delicious. Yeah, and it's good warm. It's good cold. You know, yeah. like the next day it's it's still pretty good. You know, uh, a lot of people say it's a really good thing to eat in the morning after you've had a night out. You know, having too many pints. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that would be me today. Soaking so. up the alcohol, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, delicious. Well done. Thank you so well much. Done. Thank yes. you for this feast. Of course, my pleasure. I wonder. What, I wonder if Sting has had this dish. I, I wonder that perhaps, well. maybe. Well, I'm sure he has at a certain point, but I know right now his diet is is a little bit more restrictive. Is it uh-huh. really? Yeah, he's really anti-processed foods. Just to clarify, Sting and his wife Trudy are officially on a macrobiotic diet, which they don't like to use the word diet for. You eat mostly fruits, veggies, grains, organic foods. You avoid processed stuff, things with antibiotics in it. So at the end of the day, he'll eat a nice grass-fed chicken on a rare occasion, but I bet a smoked haddock is a little further down the processed food line for his well-being these days. But that's okay. It's more for us. Cheers. Um, well, this isn't. This is. This would be. Uh, this would work, right? The rice would. Rice. Uh, I guess that's somewhat processed. Yeah. So maybe he may or n- may not. I. Want- I bet he would eat this. Yeah. I mean, if he's living in Italy, I'm sure he's having plenty of rice and pasta. Right. You know, every day. But these. This is whole foods right here. W- yeah. W- w- absolutely. What, we, what yeah. we've enjoyed. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Sting yeah. might sit with us. I was really excited for a little while. I was really <laughs> excited to go down the road of like learning about British Indian food because mm. people had talked about it. To me, like I, I know a couple of British folks that you know they just say, "Oh, you when you go to Britain, you got to do the Indian food." Well, yeah, there's definitely a huge population uh, in uh, in London. I know that for sure. Yeah. I visited there a few times. Yeah, you know, and I so. I tried to I tried to find it in America, and it's it's not here. Right, none of this food is here. Yeah, that's the one thing I've always been curious about is that there is such a difference between what we in the United States consider Indian food, and frankly, there's in this area of the country, 
you know, the New York metro area, and specifically, there is a large population of Indian folk in Jersey City where there's, there's a little India right? Yeah. Um, that can produce some very, very authentic Indian dishes, but none of it is the same as what goes on in, in England, and it seems like that offshoot in England has almost created an, their own genre of that cuisine that is unique. Um, it, and to, to the point where it eclipses, I mean, England really isn't known for its cuisine, but it is known right. for its Indian cuisine. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. That's true. You know? Yeah. Yeah, the Indian angle is kind of like their, their ticket, you know, in, through the door as far as like having a notable cuisine. I mean, for them, it's the only British food I can think of that I'm excited about is like the traditional breakfast fryer. Yeah. The fry up with the eggs right. and the right, beans right. and, right. and uh, the blood puddings. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that. Pound for pound, that's my favorite breakfast. If I can get a good one, you know, can't be healthy. No, no, <laughs> no. it's not healthy. No, they're not. They're not known for their health food or their um, their good dental practices. Um, Correct. But other than that, great country. <laughs> yeah. Put out some really great music. They had a moment. Yeah. The yeah. police, including the police, are considered an English band. Are they? They're what kind, are they considered? They're, 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 well, I guess because the majority of the band yeah. are English. They are. So, and I think they received uh, an award for, you know, you know, top English bands, like, you know, when in their heyday when they were sure. together. Yeah. I don't think I realized Stuart Copeland was American until much later, you know. Really? Yeah, I don't think I knew right away. I don't, I mean, you know, you, I, I guess as a, just as a fan, you don't really, sure. you don't necessarily know all the ins and outs initially, but, yeah. but I don't think I knew that, I, I, I think I, you know. I, I don't know if I consider them English, but I, I, I guess I do in, in a yeah. sense. You know? I, mean, yeah, that makes, I mean, they, they certainly came to power in, in England. Yeah. But, you know, very much like the dish, just pulling from all the different, you know, influences, the police definitely, uh, Mark has often said, could potentially be the first world band in a sense, the world, oh, for sure. uh, a world, you know, considered because they just used, you know, first of all, re- the reggae grooves. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that doesn't, you know, that's not pop music at all in a sense. Not yeah. right. I mean, now it's, now it is, you hear it in, in all kinds of music. Sure. Really. In, sure. Yeah. In fact, that's probably now it's, now it's part of pop music, but right. back then yeah. they were breaking some ground. So yeah, they're, yeah. they're pulling from everything. So mm-hmm. much like the dish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it was an opportunity to make something I've never had before. So I, yeah, well, it tastes good. So I hope I, I did it's it justice. It's a wonderful dish. How would wonderful you know? I loved it. Awesome. Well, now this this is the part for, of the, sh- for the for the listeners the dishes are clean we 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 have yeah, eaten it all we've eaten yeah. it all <laughs> yeah so this is the part of the show where we try to figure out what the next band is going to be and um, usually I organically kind of come up with something as we're talking and we were talking about you too yeah. so I that, guess I, I think that I yeah. would almost say that that has potential to be a two parter <laughs> yeah only because the the longevity of that band and the different personalities that they went through over the course of their career is fairly, you know, drastic. Certainly. The U2, the U2 of the early eighties is not the U2 of the late eighties is certainly not the U2 of the nineties. No. It's certainly not the U2 that's now. That, yeah. You're absolutely right. And, and, uh, but there's, there is this, uh, this real love of where they're from. Which is Ireland. That's yes. true. Yes. And so I'm not to sway the uh, the dish, but it, it feels like it would have to be 
some sort of Irish dish of some sort. Maybe. Certainly. I mean, just because I feel that band somehow still holds their home, their roots very close to, to heart. You know, they not that, of course they embrace the United States and all countries, of course, yeah, you know, right. But uh, it's, you know. also, you know, unique for them. And, and this has been kind of a theme for a lot of the bands that we've done so far. Um, still all original members. Yeah. It's the same four people for yeah, incredible. What, 40 years. They, they're probably at this by now. Yeah. I mean, they, they, yeah, they were a band in the, in the, Maybe I would say mid to late seventies. Yeah, yeah. Still, still together. Yeah. Uh, so you're right. Yeah. Close mm -hmm. to, yeah. Close to 40, maybe. Yeah. yeah. 40 years. All right, folks, we're going to do, we're going to do you two next week. We'll start, uh, marinating on that idea and see what kind of food we get. So thanks for tuning in y'all. Hanging out with me has been Alan Camlet and Oscar Bautista Bautista, two members of the New York finest police tribute band. Keep your eyes out for New York's finest. Really a fantastic tribute. Uh, the one guy who wasn't here, Mark Renzel, uh, is a spot on sting impersonator. He's a killer bass player and he can hit those notes better than sting can do these days. So Anyways, check that out. So uh, cook on and rock out. This has been this band could be your food, and we will see you next week. Ciao. Nice. All right. Big thanks to Oscar and Alan, particularly Alan, for letting us record at his studio, Hoboken Recorders. Feel free to hit them up if you have some audio studio needs. Listen, have you been enjoying this podcast? If you have, I got a big favor. I don't know if you know how things work these days, but nobody gets anywhere without a review. So you should review this thing. This band could be your food thing. The word is getting out slowly, and that's cool, but we wanted to get out rapidly, like a broken damn or should i say dang anyways go to apple Podcasts, find this band could be your food rate it and say a couple kind words man lady whoever you are it's so easy and for this i say thank you so much now next week i'm driving the car over to serene leeds place who's serene leeds let me tell you i went and asked the internets who is into you too and the gods of internet says talk to serene leeds Serene Leeds used to write for Rolling Stone magazine, so I figured she'll be an excellent guest. And guess what? She was. She had me over and she cooked for me. Usually I'm cooking the food, folks. But when I told her what the food was, she said, I've got a recipe for you. So there you go. We're going over to Serene's place. And we're going to have a nice healthy portion of U2 food. What is U2 food? Tune in next week and find out. Make sure to check out the website, www.thisbandcouldbeyourfood.com for all your recipes, show updates, and even CDs and records of the music that we're playing on this show. And if you're in a real good mood, click the donate button. Send me a couple bucks to pay for this food that I'm feeding everybody. It's not free. Ah, but I do it for the love. The love of the food and the music. Okay, bono. We'll see you next week there. Until then, I am your captain, Nathan Palin from Brooklyn, New York. This has been This Band Could Be Your Food, and I say to you, cook on and rock out. Ciao, ciao.